As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and no sooner has the 2022 season finished than the 23 campaign got underway with the Abu Dhabi test. Fernando Alonso made his Aston Martin debut, and he wasn't the only driver changing teams. So how did he get on, and what did we learn from the others who were getting ahead for next year? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me at the end of one last day at the Yas Marina circuit is Scott Mitchell-Malm. Well, Scott, last day of 2022 on track, Ferrari 123, Carlos Sainz, Charles Leclerc, Robert Schwartzman, top of the timesheets. Ferrari title next year. Fact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we're going to read anything into this test, that is all we can possibly read into it. Um, unfortunately, I think uh, such is the nature of a test like this that actually ludicrous um, conclusions like that are pretty much about as accurate a, a reading as you can get from from the on-track running. The, the lap times are mostly meaningless. The usual caveats of testing like fuel loads and engine modes are compounded by the fact that people are on different programs there are different tire allocations between the two cars so even internally within teams direct comparisons are largely futile but as we'll get into in this podcast there was actually quite a lot of interest about this as it just had nothing to do with the the lap times there, there were plenty of things to, to focus on you just have to stick with us and not pay attention to the to, to the leaderboard Exactly. The great thing that the timing sheet does tell you is that there are a lot of drivers out and some very interesting names. That's 24 what I love about drivers this. in a test. When was the last time you saw that? Yeah, very, very rare. Of course, there's so many because each team has two cars. One of them is nominally the young driver test, as it's known. No more than two Grand Prix starts. The other is the tyre test car. So that's a fully super licensed driver. Both cars have to be a 2022 spec car. You can't have brand new parts on it. You have to run the parts and different tyre allocations for the two drivers. So 10 sets for the tyre testers, eight sets focused on the softer end of the range for the young drivers. Sets of 2023 Pirelli tyres, correct? Exactly, in both cases for the young drivers as well. So we will briefly come on to those tyres later on. But 
We've got to say, Scott, the big story today was Fernando Alonso in the Aston Martin. And that car was something you really liked today. And why? Because it had no stickers on it beyond a small Pirelli one, his number and a little Aston Martin logo. To me, that was a throwback to just uh, just some real rare moments in Formula One history. I, I, I love a, a rare livery. I love a, a sort of... Un, uh, an unusual paint scheme or a reason for doing the branding differently but this was a particularly good genre um subgenre even of the uh, f1 testing genre of driver that can't drive with the car in its normal color scheme we see it normally and we saw this actually at this test as well we normally see that manifest itself in the driver doesn't wear the race suit or they wear a, a neutral crash helmet or, or or something like that and and as is the case this week this with this test as well they don't often speak for their new team i've never seen it so that it goes so far as to stop a driver from being able to run in the the full normal livery of of the team but that's obviously because Alonso was not allowed to to represent Aston Martin or or the brands of, of the team so while Felipe Drugovic was running around in the full race livery with all their stickers and sponsors Alonso was in his um, camouflage crash helmet and his neutral race suit in a de-stickered AMR22 and I have to admit I thought it looked really cool there was something about it that I just really really enjoyed it's a simplicity to it. You can enjoy the colour a little bit more without all those little decals and and uh, I call them stickers, but they're not really stickers because of the way they're uh, they're put into the paint. But it does look just great. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it is it is cool, and um, I, I like the fact that we've talked about Alonso first on this uh, this little podcast because, in, uh, as he tells it, he was first through the paddock gates on Monday to meet up with his new team and prepare for this new era and he was first in the pit lane when the green when the session was beginning and the green light showed this morning and he was also first in the pit lane and on track after a red flag in the morning so a perfect and appropriate position for Alonso in this podcast given that he was Mr Enthusiasm today. And 12th on the timesheets for what it's worth. He racked up 97 laps. He did hand the car over for the last few hours of the running. But that's a pretty good bunch of mileage, isn't it? And he was relatively happy. You heard from him earlier, didn't you? I did, yeah. And he was uh, he was very, very happy. Cut a much more optimistic figure than he did in his um, final weeks at Alpine where the sort of jaded side of Alonso came through a little bit more. He was fed up with reliability. That was really good on the Aston Martin today. And he made a point of pointing that out. He was also just sort of struggling, I think, a little bit. To, um, we, we know that he didn't really feel the love from, from Alpine. They questioned him because of his age and, and, and stuff like that, whereas he's now being totally effusive in his praise of Aston Martin, loves the technical team, loves the, the people that are working on the ground, really buying into the and talking up the potential of the, of the project. But this was a, this was a very productive day for, for Alonso. He's really, really good. We talk about fine margins quite a lot on this on this podcast he's really good good at that so you've got the big things like a seat fit and he's pointed out already that he had a bit of pain on his um, on his left side after today so that's something that he wants to address but he was also talking really interesting i've never actually heard a driver talk about this in the context of comfort familiarity what they want to learn about a new team he was going into really granular stuff like the the tone of the of the engine when you need to upshift um what it sounds like in in the in the pit lane um how long messages appear on the dash when you make a switch change or, or something like that so he's really buying into the this was a great head start for him five hours in the car and he wanted to make every second of those five hours count 
I see where he's coming from on that because if you watch a lot of onboards, and I've watched a lot of hours of onboards from all the drivers this year, the Alpine does sound quite distinctive, I should say, the Renault engine. So you can imagine when you're the driver and you're plugged in, you're sensitive to everything, you will pick up every, every little detail, every little cue. You picking up on uh, the the engine there has just made me re- remember one thing. This is obviously Alonso. He's now driven, he's finally driven with a Mercedes um, power unit in the turbo hybrid era. So I think that completes the set for for Fernando, one of only two drivers, I think we were talking about this earlier. I think Kevin Magnussen's the the other one, um, and he was asked how the the new power unit felt, and he said uh, it felt different. He was asked if it felt better, and he just sort of smiled and shrugged. So I felt like that was a little bit of a not too um, not too subtle dig at his uh, former power unit supplier as well, because obviously the Renault reliability was awful this year. Certainly a contrast for Alonso after the way the Alpine stint ended. We should probably come back to this in however many years when Alonso bows out of Aston Martin and uh, and see how it's gone and see how much these day this day here seemed like a predictor of what was to come or a sort of false optimism at the start. Or, of it. or dig out his quotes from when he's um, when he made his comeback and tested a, a Renault for the first time a couple of years ago and just see if the, exactly the same enthusiasm was there. I'm pretty sure it would have been. But you can't doubt his enthusiasm and determination. Pedro de la Rosa, his fellow Spaniard and former pseudo teammate in the McLaren fold. He wasn't his racing teammate, but he was a test driver. There is here as a Aston Martin ambassador. And he said he was just amazed at Alonso's determination and enthusiasm and just how hard he's willing to work. Former Jaguar test teammate as well. Obviously, that was one thing that Pedro and Fernando both joked about. Um, which was that when they came into the garage in the morning and saw the deliveried um, or de-stickered uh, and plain green uh, Aston Martin, they joked that it was like the Jaguar days when they shared a Jaguar at a test at Silverstone in 2002, I want to say. Yep, it was uh, a rare outing that's often... Well, yeah, it's an outing that's often forgotten that uh, that Alonso had. And yeah, they're enjoying the fact they were both back in green. We did joke with Pedro earlier that hopefully, although there were some similarities with the colouring, the way things go with Aston Martin will be a little bit different to Jaguar in Formula One. I'll tell you who else was very happy today, and that's Pierre Gasly. He had his first day in the Alpine, properly liveried Alpine, not a properly liveried Pierre Gasly. He had all the relevant Alpine stuff on his helmet, but in a, a plain set of overalls. But he was just really happy you could tell just from his mood and the way he was talking the way he was carrying himself that he was having a a lovely time and the interesting thing is he said he was particularly happy because the car had the front end he wanted he's been struggling all year with the feel of that Alfa Tauri and he just got in the Alpine and could just feel it was a better car he obviously knew it was a better car but dynamically it was also superior I just honestly thought when I heard what he'd said after after um, after the day ended because you were speaking to Pierre while I was um, speaking to Oscar Piastri at McLaren um, he just honestly to me sounded like a driver who's had to spend the entire year driving an Alfa Tauri <laughs> yeah there's a reason for that because he has been and although the Alfa Tauri's been a pretty good car to be in in the previous few seasons it has been a difficult year I did ask him if because it's been rare we've seen the real Pierre Gasly or should I say the best Pierre Gasly this year he's had some strong weekends including some ones where the results weren't there, where he was on form. But he's also had a lot of difficult weekends as well. So he does have the air of someone who's reinvigorated and just excited to be leaping into a more competitive car and one that has probably given him that feeling of just happiness in the car that he's lacked for so much of this season. Yeah, I was going to use the word energised. That that was how he, he came across. And I think he really needed that after a, 
after a year like this because he could have gone on into the winter on a really low ebb, especially with the way that the Grand Prix actually played out. He didn't want to bow out of Alpha Tauri, a team really, really close to his heart, one that he has a very strong relationship with in the manner that he has this season overall, the last few races and the last weekend. So I think for him, rather than going into the winter thinking, oh, right, wow, I need to really reset myself now and, and, and come back swinging with Alpine, he's done that already. That's what today's done. It's completely... It's completely wiped out, I think, a year of what has been broadly negativity overall with how AlphaTauri has performed. And it's just put him in going into the winter on the front foot thinking, I am so up for this and I can't wait to get stuck in because there's a lot of what that Alpine does that actually seems to really play into how Pierre wants to, to drive a car and throw it around. So if, that can, if they can keep those positive traits and maybe make the car even better next year, I think he's in a really good position. And for what it's worth, he was fourth fastest today. He did 130 laps. He set that quick time relatively late in the day. He spent a lot of time working on the tyres. Obviously, he was in the tyre test car and familiarising himself with the car and the way it was working, etc. So he felt he made a lot of progress today. A great rolling start into next year. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, there's many other drivers we can talk about, Scott, who are interesting. Logan Sargent at Williams, newly, officially, formally confirmed as a Williams driver since he got his super licence. How did he get on? Um, he didn't have as uh, productive a day as um, some others had. Um, I think he fell quite a bit short of the 100 lap mark. It was still a, still a decent day of mileage. I did wonder if that might have something to do with um, physical fitness because he has mentioned that he does need to, to, to build up his strength for, for Formula One a little bit more. Um, but I did... I did ask him this directly and he said no, it was nothing to do with that. He actually feels he 
coped with the physical side very well. And actually, um, what that was was just the run plan. Um, so they did uh, they did quite a lot of specific stuff with him. I think they're trying to increase the the cognitive load that they're putting him through. Uh, they're doing a lot of um, giving him extra switch changes to do, so he gets used to that. Um, and also, he was pushing the car a lot more because when he's done his FP1 outings in the 22 car, it's all been about those super license points, getting the 100k, doing a nice clean job. Here, he started to lean on it a bit more, and he started to learn a little bit more about what he needs from the car, playing with the tools that he has at his disposal as well, with diff changes and stuff like that. I feel like he started to just sort of open up that toolbox a bit more and discover what it's really about to drive a 2022 car properly. Seventh fastest in the test today. He racked up 82 laps. But he's an interesting driver, Sergeant, isn't he? Because there's been this sort of strange region he's got into where he was sort of confirmed, but it was subject to super license. So everyone was kind of reserving judgment. But there's there's been some mixed responses to it. Some people are saying, oh, he's only finished fourth in F2. But he's a driver that's got some real quality about him, hasn't he? He's not necessarily someone you'd say has shown in the junior ranks he's a cast iron world champion or anything, but... There's a real ability there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. He's um, you know, he's won races in in Formula Two. Um, I've always said this about him, like you know, he's a when he started his career at the very beginning, he was a he was a junior karting world champion. Um, he's a race winner in every category he's he, he's competed in. So he's a serious driver, and Williams sees a lot in him. There, there is there are upsides on track and off it. He, he is a good driver with an interesting performance potential. Exactly how big that's that potential is hard to say. It's hard to say of any driver. Um, but there's also the commercial aspect as well as an American driver where with, with the F with F1's popularity in the U S really, uh, booming at the moment, there's obviously an upside there and it would be naive to pretend that that isn't a factor. It's also naive to pretend that Sargent was the first choice for, for this drive. We know that Piastri was being lined up for a, for a loan spell there, but, um, Alpine's plans for Piastri fell through quite spectacularly. And then Williams was in talks with Nick De Vries. Now, whether Sargent could have beaten De Vries to that seat, I don't know. And I, 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 Williams won't really let on about that. But the fact is, is that Sargent was doing a good enough job to make himself seriously talked about as a contender for that Williams seat. It, it would be wrong to pretend that there isn't a serious degree of merit that has played into him getting that drive. I'm mentioning of Nick De Vries, he certainly got value for money today, 151 laps. No driver did more than that, so he's certainly taken the chance to familiarise himself with the Alpha Tauri. Yeah, that's loads. I think I worked it out. It's like just under 500 miles of the circuit or something crazy like that. So, um, yeah, really, really busy. And obviously, another 2022 F1 car added to, to, to the list. So, what's he driven this year? He's driven the Williams, the Mercedes, the Aston Martin, the Alpha Tauri, and a 2021 Alpine. I think that's his full list. That's not bad going, is it? Certainly building up that experience. And he's an interesting driver because he is, he's 26, he turns 27 next year from memory. He's obviously got quite a lot of experience, Formula E, he won. So he's not the conventional profile of junior driver jumping into Formula One. He's got a little bit of extra experience. That makes him a very interesting kind of rookie. Actually, I was speaking to Pedro De La Rosa about this, who came into Formula One. I think he was 28 when he made his debut with Arrows. So he came in in vaguely similar circumstances with more experience under his belt. And... I guess that will have helped De Vries really make the most of this because he, he's got a lot of F1 car experience, so he's he's got the chance to apply it. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to know with um, with with De Vries exactly sort of what he thinks is possible with AlphaTauri next year. I think Gasly's talked about this a little bit that AlphaTauri is going to completely change its car concept for 2023. I've spoken to some people in the team as well that they know that they have to do a completely different job for for, for next season after massively underperforming this year. But for De Vries, obviously, when he stepped into F1 and that debut at Williams, that was obviously a very specific set of circumstances. And he shone. He absolutely shone. But it was the best case scenario in terms of the track. 
track profile to make your debut with Williams. He's driven he's driven Mercedes, he's driven the 2021 Alpine, he's driven the Aston Martin when it was going through a decent period of refinement and I think was definitely better than the Alpha Tauri by Monza, I think that's fair to say. He's now getting in what was effectively the second worst car this season. So I'd just be interested to know sort of where his head's at. He, he certainly would have got familiar with that car today with its uh, vices and whatever strengths it, it does have. Um, he's, a, he's a consummate professional, so he'll have um, blended in with the, the team very well. And, and he'll do a really good job there, I think, behind the scenes off track. But exactly what awaits him on track, I think, is I think it's a bit of a mystery. But the good thing is he has got that significant prep and we can't underestimate how valuable it is to jump in the car here at the end of the year rather than waiting to January to start doing work and not getting into a car till February or maybe having to do a little bit of tyre testing or whatever. So this is this is really useful to be part of the group test after a race weekend and I think that'll stand him in good stead. Yeah, it would have been nice to have um, heard from him and see how he felt that the test went but we were talking earlier about Alonso and obviously one of the conditions there was that he couldn't advertise any of the, the brands and obviously all of this empty um, race suit, helmet and obviously the car itself. Um, De Vries couldn't speak to us. That was one of the conditions because he is a... Um, he, he is still a Mercedes man, basically. He's on. He, he's been released for this test, but as we've seen countless times over the years, being released to drive a car in a test is very different to being released to be a, a full-blooded driver. Eighth fastest for what it's worth. And you've already mentioned him, Oscar Piastri, in the McLaren. Obviously, it's been this enormous saga for him to get to this point. He's already driven the 2021 car to familiarise himself. Alpine did release him to be a full-on McLaren driver. I think it's as of today, pretty much, he's kind of full-on McLaren, isn't he? he? His first day was Monday, so yesterday. So he came in, did the seat fit, I guess, and just sort of got properly prepared. Actually, I say seat fit because um, that's obviously what a bunch of drivers did, like Alonso and Hulkenberg. But I'm thinking about it now. He probably would have had a decent seat fit from the 2021 car, although how transferable that is for 2022, I don't know, because obviously seating positions are slightly different. So he would have done some work in the garage yesterday, just getting ready. But yeah, he was um, <laughs> just on the continuing the theme of uh, people that are obviously turned up in, in, in race gear. He was fully decked out head to toe in McLaren garb. So he is a full on McLaren driver. He'll be introduced to the factory formally next week. Um, I believe he'll be doing some simulator stuff as well. I think they've got some more 2021 car testing for him between now and pre-season, all with the ambition, as Andreas Seidel, the McLaren team principal puts it, of making him get to, uh, to Bahrain and not feel like it's his first Formula 1 race. It's a lofty ambition. They're not going to achieve it because you can't. There's just no way he can go into that feeling fully prepared. But this was a this was a good step towards that because it was a head start. There was a point where it looked like they wouldn't get him before January the 1st. So getting him six weeks earlier than that is a real boon. It's funny you say that, getting to Bahrain for the first race of the season like it's not his first race in Formula 1. I remember him saying something quite similar about the preparation for Daniel Ricciardo, obviously wouldn't have been his Formula 1 debut but the idea was he'd get to the first race of the season and it was not like his first race for McLaren and then of course ironically he pretty much spent two years never really getting to the point where he even was as comfortable as, as he'd hoped to be in his in his first race so I'm, I'm sure things will go very differently for Piastri but it's good for him to be able to knuckle down and get on obviously it's been difficult with Alpine and he got shuffled out of the Alpine reserve role when it was clear he was off so very very positive and we should briefly note that Jack Doohan was out in the Alpine effectively he's been the de facto reserve I don't think he's official reserve for for them but he's been getting out in some FP1s and did some mileage for Alpine today as well 
Now, Nico Hulkenberg, recently confirmed as F1 returnee with Haas. He had his first experience of the car, 19th fastest, 110 laps. What can you tell me about Nico Hulkenberg's human degradation? <laughs> um, he, he handled the physical side today slightly better than he expected, but he was still feeling it as the, as the day went on. You know, I think he, he racked up over 100 laps. I'm not exactly sure of his exact tally, um, but it's certainly higher than I think it looked like it would be at one stage because he caused the... Well, he actually stopped on track. I was going to say he caused a, a, a session stoppage, but he didn't. He stopped in the middle sector. I don't really know what happened here. There was a reference to a PU glitch from the team, so I presume... Maybe it was a, a shutdown for that reason. Yeah, but what I don't understand what happened is exactly where he stopped because it didn't actually trigger any message on the race control system. So there was no yellow flag or anything like that. But the car did stop in the middle sector and it had to be retrieved. So just trying to work out in my head how he's managed that. Because that's quite an impressive feat, right? To end up like stopping in a way that doesn't prompt any kind of caution. I think that shows that Haas have signed a driver who really knows where to park, yeah. which is very, very uh, encouraging for him. Maybe when they said that they were, uh, I think when they said that they weren't, they were looking for a driver with experience and wanted to tap into his experience. That's probably not what quite what they had in mind. Experience of well, like where's good to park around Abu Dhabi, but he had um, he had a good day, I think, because ultimately he's much more experienced than some of the guys that we've talked about. He's changed things before. He knows what he needs. Um, he also knows what what to push for and sort of what he can go. Okay, well, this is all about um, just sort of dealing with this for now and um, trying to find areas to improve on performance and uh, areas of customization that I want. He 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 can drill down into that a lot quicker, I guess, than some of the less experienced guys we've talked about. But this was a good opportunity for him to, as it was for everybody else, learn learn the team, start to see the way they work. But I think it would be remiss for him to read too much into that because he very much came in cold. Having been Aston Martin's reserve driver, he did only start with them this week. Yesterday, he was in the paddock with them. So there was a limit limit to the value of a test like this for someone like Hulkenberg because because he's been through this before. I don't think. Do you know what I mean? I think that the the, the lowest level of what you can learn is is a bit higher because he, he's been through all of the other stuff. But it was still beneficial. Still lots of laps. A little reminder of where he still needs to up his physical game for for, for next year. And he'll also have got a flavour of um, what that car was like you know when it had its peaks this year what made it good so i'm sure he'll already start to feed into that that development aspect because that is one of the reasons that has have signed him and very important for him just to get car mileage in terms of that fitness because there's only three days of pre-season testing next year with one car so he's going to get a day and a half before he goes to bahrain that's not a great deal of opportunity to get yourself driving fit, if, if you like. Gunter Steiner's made the point that the only way you get really razor sharp for F1 is you do have to drive because you can simulate all that with your training, etc. But the way you work, your muscles, your body, etc. It's not until you get those forces and the, the strange seating position in the F1 car that you really fully test yourself. So I think that would be very, very valuable for, uh, for Nico Hulkenberg. Anybody else catching your eye today? Obviously, there's some unfamiliar names out there, Frederick Vesti and the Mercedes, people might not be so familiar with, another one of their uh, young drivers. So he's heading into another season of, of F2. Not very high at the time sheets, but then again, neither was George Russell. So they were just doing their, their test work. Yeah, the, one of the good things about a test like this, it does it does achieve part of the regulatory purpose, which is to, to give younger drivers some experience. So you had Vesti making his F1 debut, I think, in the Mercedes. And then you had the his fellow F2 drivers that were sort of reprising roles that they've had. So Jack Doohan, Liam Lawson was back out in the, the Red Bull. Doohan was in the Alpine. Um, Theo Porcher, I think, propped up the times. He was in the Alfa Romeo. Um, Formula 2 champion, Felipe Drugovic, was, ha- had a day in the Aston Martin. Um, let's see if I can get 
all of them. Um, obviously, Schwartzman was um, in in the Ferrari, completing that famous one, two, three. And there's one more driver. There's one more driver. It's, oh, Pietro Fittipaldi was in the Haas. Ah, uh, see, I wasn't thinking of him, even though he did qualify as the, the young driver because he's only started to Grand Prix. But yeah, obviously, he's been in that car quite uh, quite regularly over the past few years. Well, as regularly as you can be as a, a non-race driver. But I, I do like seeing, after a whole year of pretty much the same names on the timing screen, it's quite nice to see these newcomers dotted around and of course plenty of the regular race drivers are out as well and obviously a lot of those drivers that were getting at first bit of f1 action or um you know a new bit or important bit of f1 action when they're inexperienced as you say there were more experienced race drivers in the in the list and if you look up and down that list that you've got in front of you ed uh who do you think was the sort of least happy to be out there today i know who it is I know I'm thinking of. This seems like a, a trick question. I'm, no, I must it's confess. not. You, you'll know it. When you get to the name, you'll see it. I know that this doesn't make for incredible listening at the moment, so I'm going to carry on talking. Oh, I, you... I'm genuinely completely baffled by what you're, you're getting at. Lewis Hamilton. Right. Because obviously, one, one for one thing, and this isn't an insult at Lewis, obviously we know he doesn't really like doing the tyre testing anyway, but obviously as he pointed out at the weekend, he can't wait to drive this at W13 for the last time. So the idea of getting in it again for a half day for stuff that he doesn't like doing after the season has finished, when it finished with a retirement, I can imagine he was like the most reticent person out there on track today. But yeah, uh, I see where his, you're coming from on that now. But he's got his wish. He has finally said goodbye to the W13 and uh, banished it to... To the, th- to the phantom zone. Although I think Toto Wolff said at the weekend that they'll um, they'll maybe put the W13 on display at the entry to Brackley as a reminder every day of how tough this job can be. Oh, that's changed his tune because normally he says it'll be very much in the background in the museum, as it were, so they they can't see it. But I think uh, I think he's hoping that it will be at a. A relatively bad car, but that's the pathway to, to great things. But yeah, loads of the regular drivers are out. Science, Leclerc, Verstappen, Albon, Stroll, Perez, Bottas, Hamilton, as you mentioned, Norris. So plenty of them were getting, uh, getting a, a feel for the tyres. And the tyres are meant to be less understeery. Meant Pire- to be, being the operative Pirelli, phrase. <laughs> Pirelli say they are less understeery. The drivers are kind of, eh, don't feel that different. Yep. The one thing I will say in Pirelli's defence is they did have a, a, a front tyre construction that was even stronger, but they were genuinely worried about, because all the teams are developing the car to get a bit more front end, particularly at low speed, they're quite worried about going too far. And then suddenly next year, so wow, these are really oversteering the tyre balance now. So there's a little bit of that as well. And the other thing I'll say in their defence is this was never going to be a revolution of tyres. It was always a relatively small step. It's an evolution of the same product. So I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. They don't seem to be behaving dramatically differently, but they were working okay. Nobody was furious about them. They were just nothing tremendously different. I also don't think this is the best place to do this do the tire test and and understand it because we don't we don't do the most relevant sessions here during the daytime so but you spend 90 95 percent of this test in the daytime higher ambient high track temps and it's only really the last hour or so that you start to get cooler conditions the sunset so you start to get a little bit darker cooler running and i just don't think that this track is particularly well suited to that but maybe i'm being a little bit sort of ignorant to that i know that we kind of have to do it here and it's good in a way because you do get a theoretically a like for like comparison on a track you were at two days ago with the race cars um with the 22 cars and the 22 race tires but it's not the same conditions wise so i just don't feel like it's just the best place to test tires yeah it's okay but it's not your 
circuit of choice for for that sort of thing. I'd certainly put it that way. And we should say that Pirelli will be busy over the winter because they've got a bunch of test days planned. They're going to be doing a little bit of work on the wet tyres and the intermediates. At the moment, the wets and intermediates are unchanged next year, but based on some of that testing, they could change. And they're also starting the 24 tyre testing programme as well. So I think there's six tests split between wet and dry. Various different teams are, are going to be doing that. The window opens at the start of December and it clo- uh, then closes and then it opens again in February. So they can't test in January. Given that this test was all about sort of a look ahead to 2023 and starting to, to adapt, was there anything that you trialled during the test day today? Is there anything that the Edstraw ES23 will... Um, will be a little bit more refined on for 2023. Any work gone on there? I think for me, this is very much an extension of 2022. So it's more thing to be got to the end of them. We can get back to base, start doing some work, do some race simulations. Obviously, we, we simulate to practice many, many different race weekends, all sorts of eventualities. So uh, that's where my focus is going to be. Okay, I was a bit more experimental. I was um, I was actually trying some um, some different lines today i was uh, the, the the main stretch of the paddock was quite busy because it's obviously packed down territory there's still loads of um little uh, li- little vehicles running around pitchfork um pitchforks lots that's of little, an alarming image lots of little vehicles running around some forklifts people all over the place so i actually when i was running down to media sessions and going to speak to people i was actually taking the back route behind along by the marina never really done that before so that was quite a useful bit of experience i'll try and bank that for next year's race it is a useful trick that i do sometimes use i haven't used it so much this year but it it is always an option because obviously it backs directly onto the marina well thanks very much scott mitchell malm as always for your insight of course for the last time this year on site and of course we will both be at the race f1's first live show in london on february the 12th as part of pod live a week-long sports podcast festival to get your tickets for that click on the link in the description for this episode or search for the pod live sports podcast festival website as always, you can head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there. Listen to our podcasts on IndyCar, MotoGP, F1 Tech and all things retro in Bring Back V10s and also ensure you check out our YouTube channel. And this is it for the on-track action for the year, but we're going to be with you throughout the winter. You can't get rid of us that easily. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.